we have two weeks before we jump into the politics of Jesus, so consider these weeks like a, a, a slight breath before we plunge, okay? So we are hanging off the cliff, and in two weeks we're about to jump. So I want to take it nice and slow, chilled and relaxed, and calm for the next two weeks. So enjoy this. Enjoy this, because it's about to get intense uh, here on the stage in the, in the next four weeks after this. But uh, this morning I want to talk about something which we all kind of experience. Um, we all have this question that we ask. How, how do I say this? It happens at some point for all of us. We find ourselves asking God, where are you? Amen? Have you ever asked God the question? Yes. Okay, good. Some heads are moving. All right, awesome. You know, head starts first and then the shoulders move, you know? And the arms move a little bit, then like a hand goes up, and a clap maybe, and a word maybe out of your mouth. Good? Okay, so the head started. Okay, so, you know, we're on our way. We've all found ourselves in a place where, for some reason, we ask God, where in the world are you? What has happened? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me here? Um, you know, on the trip, the one thing that I really felt the Holy Spirit was kind of speaking to me about was just the expectation of the people around me, okay? We'd be at Hillsong or at a conference or something, and again, you know, you would just feel the people. I mean, the conference started at 6 o'clock, and people were lined up out this building at 1 o'clock. Now, I wasn't one of those people, <laughs> okay? But there were people who were, and they were excited, ecstatic. They were pumped. They were, I mean, like, you could feel the energy, um, at the game last night, you know, I mean, for a short period, there was lots of excitement, okay, uh, at the game last night. Um, energy and excitement. Uh, there, you could feel the expectation, right? They were expecting something good, expecting something to happen, um, expecting to experience something. And um, the one thing about most of us is at some point, at some point for us, we lose our expectation of God. Right? At some point, because that's not natural for us, right? Uh, think about your children, okay? Your child is not born going, hmm, right? <laughs> your child comes out with noise and motion and movement, and the moment that baby has a diaper, when they're tired, when they want to eat, they do what? Let you know. And when you're flying on a jet with many of the people, they let everyone know, right? I was like, okay, side story, it's awesome. We, the first flight from Dallas to Phoenix, I was, oh my gosh, it was all like businessmen in suits. So we're like, you know, child, shh, you know, the entire time, right? And when she would cry, you know, like the entire room just like stiffens up. You know, like they're all just like, oh, oh, that's a baby, you know. Had to change her diaper. So we just like changed it like right there in our laps. The guy sitting right, right here was just like, you know, you can imagine. He was just like, it was great. Second flight from Phoenix to L.A., I mean, all these awesome families with like a minimum of five children, I'm, I'm, t I'm talking like half the jet was kids, and like me and were like, yes, these kids are screaming, fighting, I mean, just like clawing at their parents, and, I, and like, I mean, 
it was just sweet music to my ears. I was like, oh, yes. More screaming, please more screaming. And so like with Rachel, she was perfect for that fight. Anyways, when your kids, when they find something which their heart desires, when they find something that um, entertains their mind, it draws their attention. Um, superheroes is kind of like where it's at with boys, right? Okay, I mean like superheroes, it has their attention. They are sucked into it. And so you know, with Jude, I mean, like, he wants the pajamas, he wants the underwear, I mean, like, he wants the, you know, like, the toys, he wants to watch a show, he wants to talk about it, so how can Superman fly? Is he, like, jumping really high, or is it, like, a gravity thing? You know, I mean, again, yes, I know he's five, it's awesome, I, who knows, but he is just absolutely enthralled by this, because we are naturally born to be enthralled. Um, let me say it this way, we are born to worship things, Right? It's this nature of us to see, to smell, to feel, and to just want more and more and more. We were created to not be satisfied also. We're driving on this interstate, you know, with, with the waves. You would think after a certain amount of seeing waves and ocean and whatever that you'd just be like, ah, you know, it's just whatever. But you just want more and more and more of it. And... When you see it, it makes your, your mind trigger. It makes these, these thoughts and these ideas, and, and all of a sudden those things begin to release these chemicals, and you have these feelings and, and these sensations, this, this, this interest, this desire, this hunger for more of it. And it just begins to feed itself, and you find yourself becoming somewhat consumed by it. This is our natural state as humans. It's something which, in this world we've seen, it's, a, you know, it's able for Satan to use it, to, to distort it, to, to um, co-opt it, to bring harm and, and pain. But it's something in us which is so crucial and needed, especially in our relationship with God. You know... Um, two weeks ago, I just started my uh, seminary classes, and obviously, if you can imagine, my seminary classes are not the same as going to Bethel Church, right? I mean, like, just a little bit of a different kind of a world, right? You know, um, very different. And I'm someone who believes that having the right understanding of Scripture and of theology and having the right image of who God is, of who Jesus is and what He wants, I believe this is crucial because the way that we understand who God is, it affects the way that we, we treat Him, we, we talk to Him, we interact with Him. As much as I believe that that side of things is crucial, I also believe that experience, I, I believe that having these encounters with God is crucial as well. And... The most important thing about encounter is that it renews our hunger. It brings back wonder. It, it, it reminds us of mystery with God. It reminds us that God truly isn't able to be put into our boxes. That He's not confined to Sundays or into prayer or into fasting or, you know, or into worship. We were at um, Hillsong and... Uh, I'll explain this. When I walk into a church, it's hard for me to be fully present because, you know, I'm watching things, I'm studying the leaders, I'm watching, you know, like, just how they're doing it. 
And so it's very difficult for me to actually get fully engaged in the worship. But I just, from the moment that we walked in, I was like, oh, forget all that stuff. I just was drawn into it. So we're sitting here with these words and this, you know, like the music and the lights. And my brain is going, why is this making you feel this way? Is it just the words? Is it just the music? Is it just the lights? Is it just the crowd? What is it that's bringing you? And it's, it's amazing because, you know, you can find all those things in other places, right? Um, you can go to a concert and, and experience all those things. And, you know, you, you can have the, the, the goosies, if you would, okay? Uh, if you guys are not... Uh, Charismatic, you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, uh, but you know, the sensations of, oh, this is great, okay? You can find those in all these other places, but there's something different. There's something that literally felt as if my heart was coming out of my chest. What is that? What in the world was that? And we had this space in our walk with God where He provides encounter with us, where he comes and He gives us just fresh, real touch, if you would. And what it does is it kind of resets us. What it does is it, it takes all of the numbness, it takes all the jadedness, it takes all of the, okay, it's Sunday, I walk in here, I, you know, here's our songs we do, here's the, you know, it takes all of this mechanical stuff, and it just flushes it down the toilet for just a moment. And it provides that, that space where we just go, wow. And you just, in that moment, feel this burning desire for more. And that desire for more is so harmful when it's, when it's placed almost anywhere else. In, in this last series, which we've done, you know, the entire point was talking about how have we kind of separated God from our actual lives? One of the worst ways that we have separated God from our actual lives is that we have taken all of the experience, the emotion, the feeling, the passion, the hunger, and we've given that to all these other things in our life. Pornography, they say, is so harmful to the human brain. With these studies that they've shown, what happens to your brain, your neural pathways, the ways that you have fresh thought and ideas and creativity, they begin to get shut down systematically the more you are exposed to this. You begin to lose the ability to expect, to dream, to be creative, to imagine. You, in these studies they've shown, it's the more that men and the human mind is exposed to these things, it begins to isolate them from all actual human touch. It becomes this place where there is there's no ability to imagine, to dream, to long for, to... It just becomes this thing that it begins to 
harness in the human mind, the imagination, the desire, the zeal, the zest. It's amazing that this pornography, you know, this thing which thrives by using the, the longings, the, uh, the lust, the desire of humans, what it actually does, it actually kills those exact things. It's amazing. And, and what they said is that the, the person's ability to actually experience pleasure, to actually enjoy anything, is, is continually beginning to slope down to where you truly become a zombie. Which is why when you see people in brains who are exposed to, to this stuff for, for long uh, exposures, it forces them to seek out more. They begin to have to, you know, to, to dive into all sorts of even worse things because their ability to respond, to react, for their brain to have wonder, to, have, to be inspired, to, you know, to feel anything. It just begins to be to where nothing moves them anymore. There's no feeling there's no sensation. There's no wonder anymore. It's a very dramatic example, but one of the things that, that happens for us with God is that when we encounter the love of God in a real way, it does the exact opposite thing for us. It begins to spur and to spark, and it begins to, to set things off inside of us that most other things cannot do. It's amazing what happens. You can take someone who has been sad or depressed or lonely, and you expose them to the presence of God, and just instantly, all of a sudden, joy, happiness, uh, ecstasy, creativity, these things begin to just, just to flow in their minds and their bodies and their lives. It's amazing how encounter with God just brings us to life again. Jump starts us. Now, we're saying all of that, you know, the, the question has to be asked for us. Where have we lost our expectation of God? When did we stop having that that energy, that excitement, that hope even. I mean, that just that bubbling expectation of what God would do or say or move. I mean, when did we lose that? When did it just become about church or songs or, you know? When did that happen for you? Brian Houston was talking about one of the things that they found in their church is that when someone begins to experience disappointment, the first reaction is that if the person is serving, they begin to take their gifts and they begin to hold, to, to hold on to them, to hoard them, if you would. The first response to having that, that huge connection to God lost is that these they begin to withdraw their investment in God and the church and others. The second thing is these people begin to withdraw from the church total. So, you know, their tendency is, is consistent. They begin to come less frequently and less and less. 
then, of course, we see isolation is like the ultimate example of this. What I'm saying is that what takes place in us is through encounter, we are jump-started to truly begin living and experiencing life the way that we were desired to. When we encounter God, it inspires us to draw into God more, but it also inspires us to draw into life with others more as well. It begins to spark back the life and the desire for life which we're always meant to have. So what happens for us is we have to be willing to ask, when in our lives did something else become the most exciting, the most inspiring, the most thing in our lives? I really appreciated to go to the game last night. But let me say this, and... Don't tell the ones who got me the tickets. It was probably the worst weekend to take me to a football game because I really could have cared less. Now, the week before, I would have been pumped, and I would have been angry today. <laughs> you know, what in the world is wrong with the stupid Razorback? Okay. But, you know, having a week away from cell phones and a week away from work and, you know, where just feeding that expectation of God. Oh, man. So, for you, where and when, why, when did you start losing that expectation for God? When did you start coming, you know, on a Sunday morning and just expecting to have your hands up or sit there Whatever. I mean, when did it just become, it's just Sunday? When did going to the lake become more exciting, more enthusiasm, or more, you know, blah, 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 about going to the lake or, you know, watching the game or going on a trip or doing these things over encountering God? Now, again, you know, you guys know me. I, I, I don't care about, you know, how many times you're here on a Sunday. I'm not talking about that. When. Did your excitement for God begin to drop in your heart? And so where your expectation for the weekend, your expectation for a hobby, your expectation for the big game, when did those things carry more excitement for you than expecting to encounter God? And the truth is this. This is just part of what happens for us as humans. We are, we will go through this cycle continually. So it's okay that it happens, but the point is, is that we must address what has happened. So this morning, if you something to write down on or in your phone, just begin to ask the Lord, when did my, my excitement, my, my expectation, my passion, my hunger for you, when did it stop going up and start going down? What happened? Now the Scriptures tell us that hope deferred, it makes the heart sick. The Mrs. Bible says something like, um, continually 
being let down. You get excited, you hope, you hope, you hope. Oh, the Razorbacks are finally going to win this year. It's amazing how fast, you know, I'm not sure, you know, who was there last night. Uh, 75,000 people can go from, <gasps> again. It wasn't just the plays either, okay? The first quarter looked really bad for the Bama fans too, but you didn't see them doing that. They're just like, oh, uh, it's, it's okay. <laughs> because they knew, right? They're used to what? Winning. They don't know what it's like to have the hope deferred. <laughs> yeah, but the kingdom of God, right? The last shall be first. We're getting in before the Bama fans, so there you go. But they don't react that quickly, right? But we've got what? Now, 10 years in a row we've lost to these elephants. 10 years in a row, right? And so what happens for us is we just know it's coming, right? It's just this cloud. It just hangs over everyone. It's like, yeah, we're excited, you know, pregame. And then we're all like, oh, it's, it's coming. You know, I mean, we all know it. And so like the moment that something bad happens, the moment that we get a, a glimpse that it's not going to work out the way that we want it to, our hope just straight to the toilet. We get defensive. We get, you know, one of the professors there, uh, he got arrested last night because he was saying some really nice things to the coach. Really nice things. Yeah, something like that. You know, we start to blame. It's amazing, okay, because, you know, uh, we fumbled the ball or something, and it's amazing how many people... We're up cheering, and all of a sudden, phone's out. We find substitutes, right? Because it's much safer for me emotionally, mentally, for me to avoid being let down again. I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's like a social experiment. Everyone is engaged in the moment that there's a hint. It's only like 7-0, right? I mean, it's still a game, but... Ooh, ah, ooh. I mean, everyone around me has their phones out doing this. And, and, you know, and if you guys have been to a game, we all know there's no cell service. Like, what are you looking at? You know, I mean, oh, please, I just don't want to see it. We see it in marriage counseling all the time, guys. When you, you have one spouse who's gone through divorce, they had an abusive um, parent, the moment that there is a sign of trouble, that person begins to isolate themselves. They begin to work longer hours. They begin to, you know, to spend more time with people who are outside of the house. They begin to find ways to protect themselves. These are the same things we do with the Lord. There are a few people who I've seen truly encounter God and, you know, give their life to him and have that moment. And then like the next Sunday are just like this. I mean, there's always a period of just excitement. Oh, what's next? What, you know, what's he have for me? 
And it's just this, this pure joy and there's energy and there's excitement. And then for some reason, at some point, it just begins to get here. And we begin to find other places to invest ourselves so that we can protect ourselves. And so again, I ask you this morning, again, I mean, I know we're not jumping off of the Scriptures and, and all that fun stuff, but the hard question is for you. Where did my passion start to shift to other things? Where? And why is that? And, and what happens is we all experience disappointment with God. We all do. In the moment that we experience that disappointment, we begin to hide. We begin to look elsewhere. We begin to find uh, substitutes and distractions. and We all find a way. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Psalm 22. Verse 1. We're going to read the Message Bible. Um, Eugene Peterson, uh, he's the one who wrote this, and again, his entire aim was to help us understand these things in a modern day uh, kind of language and context. He is such an amazing scholar, and he's a pastor as well. And so I use his stuff a lot whenever it comes to, if I really want us to kind of get the point. And, you know, with the Psalms, it's so easy for us to read the Psalms, and it all just kind of turns into this, you know, Bible language if you would, for us. And it's so hard to connect to. So I want to read this psalm in the Message Bible. Here's something, if you're taking notes. The Jews understood something about relationship that we do not understand. The Jews understood this. They understood that to have connection, it requires expression. Did you get what I said? To have connection, and it requires expression. Who here knows someone who is like stereotypical Jewish? Anybody? Okay, three people. Okay, they talk a lot. Okay, what you would say in one sentence for them is a story. It's amazing. Okay, I mean like. <laughs> They have this way of just taking this and turning it into that. And of course, if you ever read the Old Testament, you know what I'm talking about. Everything is dramatic and it's big and it's wow. And they are some of the most expressive people on the earth. And what they understood was this. To have connection, you must have expression. And in marriages, when communication stops, I guarantee you that connection has stopped as well. Take that into your notebook and it's free, I promise you. When you stop communicating with your spouse, you have already begun to lose connection with them. I promise you that. Promise you. The people in this room who had the best marriages are the ones who are the most honest with their spouses. Period. Okay. Good. Amen. The people in this room who are the most honest with God have the best walk with them. I promise you that too. To have connection, we must have expression. And with the Psalms, I just love the Psalms because they say the things to God that most of us wish that we could say. I mean, 
Lord have mercy. They say the things that most of us think, but we're not willing to even express to God. Now, it's going to be long, but stay with me. It's worth it, okay? Psalm 22, verse 1. My voice is still suffering from all the flights on that stuff, so I hope I make it all the way through, but we'll see. Let's go. Here we go. God, God, my God, why did you dump me miles from nowhere? Doubled up with pain, I call to God. All day long, no answer, nothing. I keep at it all night, tossing and turning. And you, so are you indifferent? Above it all, leaning back on the cushions of Israel's praise, we know you were there for our parents. They cried for your help, and you gave it. They trusted and lived a good life. And here I am, a nothing, an earthworm, something to step on, to squash. Everyone pokes fun at me. They make faces at me. They shake their heads. Let's see how God handles this one, since God likes him so much. Let him help him. And to think you were midwife, at my birth. He's just saying, and to think that you were there. Everyone's like, midwife? God's a midwife? Man, he really is talking trash to God. Come on, wake up. It's funny. He just called God a midwife. Okay. Sitting me in my mother's breasts. Everyone's very comfortable now. When I left the womb, you cradled me. Since the moment of birth, you've been my God. Then you move far away. And trouble moved in next door. I need a neighbor. This gets dramatic, okay? Herds of bulls come at me. The raging bull stampede. Horns lowered, nostrils flaring, like a herd of buffalo on the move. This part's powerful. So I'm a bucket, kicked over and spilled. Every joint in my body has been pulled apart. My heart is a blob of melted wax in my gut. I'm dry as a bone, my tongue black and swollen. They have laid me out for burial in the dirt. And again, he's Jewish. Now packs of wild dogs come at me. Thugs gang up on me. They pin me down hand and foot, and they lock me in a cage. A bag of bones in a cage, stared at by every passerby. They take my wallet and the shirt off my back, and then throw dice from my clothes. You, God, don't put off my rescue. Hurry and help me. Don't let them cut my throat. Don't let these mongrels devour me. If you don't show up soon, I'm done for. Gored by the bulls, meat for lions. Here we go, guys. Here's a story I'll tell my friends when they come to worship and punctuate it with hallelujahs. Shout hallelujah, you God worshipers. Do you feel his sarcasm, by the way? He's not being fully honest in this. He's being sarcastic. I love it. I love sarcasm. Shout hallelujah, you God worshipers. Give glory, you sons of Jacob. Adore him, you daughters of Israel. He has never let you down. 
never looked the other way when you were being kicked around. He has never wandered off to do his own thing. He's been right there listening. Here in this great gathering for worship, I've discovered this praise life. And I'll do what I promised right here in front of all the God worshipers. The down and outers at God's table and eat their fill. Everyone on the hunt for God is here, praising Him. Lifted up from head to toe. Don't ever quit. From the four corners of the earth, people are coming to their senses, are running back to God. Long lost families are falling on their faces before Him. God has taken charge. From now on, He has the last word. All the power mongers are before Him, worshiping. All the poor and powerless, too, worshiping. Along with those who, who never got it together, worshiping. Our children and their children will get in on this as the word is passed along from parent to child. Babies not yet conceived will hear the good news that God does what he says. Now, there's a lot in there. I get that. But the one thing I want you to, to kind of see in this is that for us this morning, the challenge I have for you is this. Be willing to dig up your disappointment. Most of us have this idea that these are the things that God has taught us, that as we grow in Christ and, and we mature, we learn to, to walk by faith. And so we take all of our frustrations, our questions, and our disappointments, and we just kind of slip them behind. That is not maturity. That is not relationship. Which it, what you have to understand is that for us to grow in relationship with God, it takes digging up the things that we thought he wanted us to bury. And so this morning, I encourage you to continue to pray over that. Just allow God to show you, where is my disappointment? Where did I need or I asked something of you and you didn't come through? What was it that I had my heart set on and you never showed up? What thing did, did you allow to happen to me? And if you really loved me, you wouldn't have allowed that to happen. For some of you, it's the past. When you look at the past, you see times where God was with you, where He was faithful, and you feel like He took it from you. And so you always find yourself looking back and saying, oh, well, He was with us there. And the disappointment for you is the present. And the problem with the past is that we cannot enjoy and be present in the present if we're still living in the past. Many of you are missing out on what God is doing right now because you've been unwilling to let go of what He did in the past. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 27, verse 37. What you don't know about Psalm 22 is that the NIV or the New King James or whatever starts out very familiar. It starts out by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Now, I read that verse in the Message Bible so you wouldn't know it was the same verse because it starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, let's go somewhere interesting. Verse 37 in Matthew, the context here is Jesus is on the cross, and I want you to see what happens. So above his head, they placed uh, the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and to build it up in three days, save yourself. Pause with me. What did the psalm say? He said, I'm in a cage, and people walk by throwing insults, shaking their head and saying, God, why don't you save him? It gets better. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and then we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Pause for a second. In the last conversation that Jesus has with his father before his death, he quotes the exact words from Psalm 22. The exact passage which we just read. And if you notice, everything that's being accounted, the way that they are treating him, the way they're insulting him, the way they're telling him that, hey, if he claimed to be God, why doesn't God save him? This is the exact recounting of Psalm 22. There's a connection Matthew is trying to show us. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar. He put on it a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs were broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Let me explain something to you here. What most of us miss in this passage is that the last prophetic action of Jesus, the last, if you would, the last image, the last message that God is sending to us through His Son on the cross, is not just that He's powerful, it's not just that He's dying, it's not just that He loves us, it's, it's even this one truth that most of us need to know the most. is that God is present with us in our pain. 
you have to see this, okay? Psalm 22 is a famous passage about talking about how can God be so faithful to everyone else but not to me? Yes, you God worshipers, you know, you guys who, yeah, God's always come through for you and He always came through for you, so it's easy for you to come to church and raise your hands, but guess where I am? I'm right here in this place of isolation. He hasn't shown up for me. He's not here. He used to be with me, but now he's gone somewhere else to do his own thing. Where are you? It's amazing that God himself would put him in a he would put himself in this exact position that most of us find ourselves here, and this is the reason that most of us leave God. This is the reason that most of us lose our passion. We lose our love, our focus, the reason that work becomes more important, the reason that hobbies or sports or boats or lakes or vacations or trips or goals or whatever else it is become more important to us than God is because of this place of disappointment. Where are you? And it's the, the last place that Jesus Himself on the earth sits. It's exactly in this place that we find ourselves sitting. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone? And he does this. The king of all the world, right? He does this with two thieves on each side of him. Two people who, who in society and culture are on the outside, are outside, are alone. They have no one. They're on the cross because, yes, they deserve it, but also because people wanted them there. And Jesus is right there in this exact place of loneliness, abandonment, isolation, pain, questions. It's amazing. The exact accounts of Psalm 22, he goes through those exact same steps. And the entire point is very simple. It's not that there will not be these times of pain or these times of questioning or disappointment. It's truly knowing that He is there with us. And, and those are only words until it hits you. What's interesting about this, which I want, I want us all to kind of zone in on this, understand this. There is still three days between the death of Jesus, and the promise of His Father being fulfilled. There's still three days where Jesus is left in death. He is waging war, if you would, with death. We don't exactly know why this takes place. We know there are three days between Jesus being dead and Jesus being alive. Three days of stillness, of quiet. And, and it's, it's in this place that we should be able to connect with Jesus. Your very life as a Christian is lived out in this space between the promise of God that He loves us, that He's real, that He's going to defeat death, that when we die, we don't have to fear death. We will be in constant tension in the in-between. We receive the promise we encounter God, and then we wait. We trust. We wrestle. We, we, we try to build up faith or whatever you want to call it, but we 
have to trust. You cannot avoid that period of waiting, trusting, wrestling. But on the other end of the waiting is the resurrection. And again, that's a spiritual word for us. Okay? But on the other end, God fulfills His promise. But there is no avoiding the waiting. It's crucial. And what happens for most of us is that we have the encounter, we have the promise, we have the moment where things are so real. Nothing matters as much as He matters to us. And then the waiting starts. And at some point in the waiting, we begin to believe that we are waiting for something that won't ever happen. And it might be something smaller. I mean, obviously, we all have to wait and trust God to resurrect our bodies from death. But it's the same faith, the same trust that gets tied to all these little things. Some little, some big. We expect, to, we expect God to bring this dream about. We expect God to bring you know, a spouse into our lives. We expect God to, you know, to, to allow us to have children, and we can't have children. We have a dream for a business, and it dies and fails. We, I mean, it's, it's all these things that are pretty small in comparison to death, but these are things that we tie our hearts to. And when He doesn't show up, we just begin to slowly be convinced that maybe... He's not going to come through. And so we find ways to begin to invest and put our hope in other places. It's in that waiting space where our hobbies and our jobs and our dreams and our goals and all these things outside of God become more important than God. And we keep just enough of our foot inside the church or with God to where we kind of convince ourselves that everything's really fine. Well, you know what happened was... I just got busy at work, or, you know, finances got tight, so I really had to just kind of focus in on this. We need some family time with the kids. Family time is crucial, but when you begin to hide from God in your family, that is not okay. We don't even talk about politics, okay? We'll save putting our hope there, we'll save that for two weeks. Find yourself getting all worked up because we need someone to do something because we know God's not going to show up. No, oh, I can't wait. We're going to have a blast. You just wait. Would you guys stand with me? Kobe.